0: Math was my favorite subject in school growing up. Some of you would say yay to that, some would say boo to that. But that was my favorite subject. I enjoyed math. I liked how precise math is, how each concept builds upon the next concept, how sequential it is. And one of the things we learned early on in math was the concept of a number being greater than or less than another number, right? There's symbols that you'd use to show that greater than or less than. Some things to know about greater than and less than. First, you need to know that it's not relative. It's not maybe three is greater than two. No, it is greater than two. Math is very clear, very straightforward. I I love that about math. And so we learned about greater than or less than. So how did I remember that as a kid? Which one is greater and which one is less? Well, the next slide will show you. I learned it from Pac Man because I was a child of the 80s and I played an Atari and we played Pac Man was the game to have on the Atari. So, in my mind, Pac Man was the symbol that opened his mouth to eat the larger number because Pac Man was really, really hungry. He was a glutton. He wanted to eat a lot and he wanted to eat the bigger number. Therefore, Pac Man opened his mouth to the greater number. That's how, in my little mind, I figured it out. Now, how about. So, so y'all won't keep, keep, uh, start watching that more and more. Um, back to the symbols again. I don't know how ADHD you guys are, you know, you know but, but yeah. So how about less than? Well, it's pretty simple. The one that opened up his mouth to eat the larger number was a greater than. But in my mind, it had a point. So the little point pointed at the smaller number, all right? Greater than, less than. Let you inside my mind as a child how I re- remembered those things. This concept of greater than and less than goes far beyond just math right this is the time of of football and sports and and the world series and and you want bragging rights that your team is greater than the other team we're in a culture that that wants the best and we want to have the greatest of everything and so we want to have the greatest things the greatest people the greatest everything around us But when we say that someone or something is greater than, we're saying that someone or something is less than. It's not relative, right? it's, It's a very strong kind of thing. So, this symbol declares an absolute truth. It was a terrible thing. In the 20th century, when Hitler considered that the Aryan race was greater than every other minority race. That led to the death of millions of Jewish people. Ethnic cleansing has happened in our world for thousands of years. And ethnic cleansing took place because someone or some group thought that they were greater than some other group of people. From abortion, to slavery, to racism, to competitive sports to talent shows, to what house to buy, what car to drive, from which company to work for, where to send your kid to school. This idea of greater than and less than is our way of categorizing and making this judgment call about which is greater, which is less. So how does this relate to our faith as followers of Jesus, this idea of greater than? Well, this last week, knowing that this was going to be the first sermon in this new series, I thought about that crazy prophet named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not a Baptist like we think of Baptists today. He was called John the Baptist because he baptized people in the Jordan River out in the wilderness. He had an interesting wardrobe. He wore camel skin. And he had an interesting diet. He ate locusts and wild honey. But this man, this prophet John the Baptist, his role was to go before Jesus would come. He was there to prepare the way of the Lord. What does he say about Jesus? Look at Mark 1, 7. Mark 1 7 in the New Living Translation says, John said, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. Now look, John was a big deal. Crowds were going out to watch him preach. He was ministering to hundreds of people. He was creating a big-time stir in the nation of Israel. But John says, basically, there's someone else coming. He is far greater than me. And sure enough, Jesus comes. And over a short period of time, the ministry of Jesus begins to outgrow the ministry of John the Baptist, All the crowds that were flocking to hear John preach and get baptized by John were flocking to this Jesus of Nazareth. And it was bothering the disciples of John. I mean, John was their guy. And here everybody's going to follow this new guy, Jesus. So what does John tell his disciples? Look at John 3.30. John says, speaking of Jesus, He must become greater. I must become greater. The idea of greater than applies to us as Christians because Jesus was the greatest person who ever walked on the earth. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus, who was greater than everyone else, made himself less than everyone else by becoming a servant. Jesus willingly, humbly became obedient to, To allow himself to be crucified on a cross. He did this because he loves the world. He loves you and he loves me. He became less so that we might become greater than we could ever possibly be. On our own. Jesus gave us his righteous perfection. And takes away our sins when we put our trust in him. We believe in him. Jesus proved that he is greater than death forever when he rose up from the grave, from the dead. Everyone who lives and believes in Jesus, John 11 says, he or she will never die. That person will become greater than death because Jesus grants eternal life to all who believe in him. We'll live forever in Christ. Because of Jesus, as Christians, Our lives will be greater than the sin that entangles us. The shame that plagues us. The past that haunts us. The weaknesses that we live with. We can be greater than all of these things because Jesus is greater than all. Amen? He is greater. And that's our hope. But I have to say, the starting line for you on this journey with Jesus is that you have to come to a place to where you realize Jesus is greater than me. I am less than him. We must humble ourselves or we'll never become a follower of Jesus. We must become like a child, the Bible says, to enter into the kingdom of God. We must realize that Jesus is greater than me. He is more righteous than me. He is perfect. I am not. He is not sinful. I am. The Bible calls this repentance. It's changing your view, changing your mind about who God is and about who you are. It's a change of view. And you humble yourself and you realize, Jesus, you are greater. You're greater than me. I need to come to you and say, Jesus, would you cleanse me? Would you save me? I need you to change my life. I can't be great enough on my own. I need you, Jesus, to be my Savior. That's where it begins, the Christian journey. I'm going to give you some good truths from our passage in 2 Corinthians 4. If you want to turn there in just a moment. I'm going to give you some really encouraging words. But these words are for believers. These words are only for a group of people who've put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so what I'm going to say is going to sound really, really great. The things we have in Christ, but we're not going to have those things unless we are in Christ. It begins with you and I saying yes to Jesus. Jesus, you are greater than me. I'm less than you. I need you to save me. This sermon series, Greater Than, what's, what's the goal of this series? One word, encouragement. I want to encourage you, church. I want to build you up from the Word of God. That's the whole goal of this sermon series. How we can learn that we might become greater than the sin that ensnares us, greater than the tribulations of the world that afflict us, greater than the things of the past, and be reminded from the Word of God how the church of Jesus Christ as a whole, how we might become even greater in our impact for the glory Of God, I want to build you up. I want to help you grow. I want to help you thrive at a time in your life when there's so much confusion in this world, so much fear, so much despair, depression, frustration, angst. All those things are gripping people right now, yet our God is greater than and his word is greater than. I pray this series is a shot in the arm that we all desperately need. Look now with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read, starting in verse 7, just to give you some quick, quick background of this book. Paul is really seeking in this book to convince the Corinthians that he truly was an apostle. There were some in Corinth who were disputing the Apostle Paul's apostleship. And so there's a lot of defense that he does in this book, not bragging or boasting, but simply emphasizing and talking about the suffering that he had endured. And and again, that's really in the context of especially chapter 3, chapter 4. But Look at chapter 4, starting in verse 7. This is a pretty familiar verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Verse 16. So we do not... eternal. This is God's Word. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verses 7 through 18. I'm going to focus on the first part of this passage and the last part of this passage. much exposition or explaining would need to be done for the middle of the passage maybe my Wednesday night bible study will be focused on these middle verses. I want to share three things from this verse, these passage of verses to help you see how God is greater than. Number 1, there is something in us far greater than what is seen on the outside. There is something in us far greater than what is seen on the outside. Verse 7 begins, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. A jar of clay is what it sounds like. It's a very basic earthen vessel. Not much to write home about, not much to emphasize, very much practical Usable, breakable, not a lasting kind of thing, just a jar of ordinary clay that's been baked in that kiln, in that oven, and made hard, but a very ordinary kind of thing. But inside that jar that we are, and by the way, we are made from the dust, the Bible says. God breathed the breath of life into Adam from the dust. And so we are ashes to ashes, dust to dust, that we commit ourselves to the grave when we die. So there's not much really to us, yet there's a treasure that is placed inside of us. This treasure, we're told in verse 7, is power. It's power. But this power doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. He is the owner. He is the giver of that power. We're simply the stewards, the vessels that hold the power. So what is this power? Well, Bible commentators like to discuss what the power could be in this passage. But the best way, I think, to know what a verse means is to read the verse before it and the verse after it. So go back to verse 6. I began in verse 7. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ a reference here to creation that God spoke everything into existence he said let there be light God spoke light comes into the darkness John 1 4 speaks about Jesus in him was life and the life was the light of men. So God has shown forth his light in our hearts through Jesus. Now, light gives us the knowledge of something. In fact, the power went out last night in our neighborhood, and somebody in our neighborhood called diverse power, and, and there were over 400 homes that were without power last night for a couple of hours. And so we just sort of sat around and talked as a family. And that's something how you can just sit around and talk and spend time together? And we're sitting there thinking, I was thinking, man, how difficult it would have been years ago without electricity. Because we had candles, but it was hard to see in those candles. But that light was shining. But boy, once the light came back on, the power came back on, you could see so much more clearly than that candlelight. Light reveals. Light brings knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the glory of God. Now, if I were to ask you, what does the glory of God mean? There'd probably be fifty different answers. It's a phrase we talk about. We kind of think we know what it means, but the glory of God is really the essence of who God is. It is the sum total of all of the attributes of God. That's why in Exodus chapter thirty-four, Moses, after he'd been on the ten, uh, gotten the ten commandments on the mountain with God, after he had seen God and been with God for forty days and forty nights, tells God, show me your glory. God, I want to know more of who you are. And God says, Okay, I'll show you my glory, but I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock because no one has seen my face and lived. And God passed by and God spoke attributes to Moses about who he was and is. Sometimes the glory of God would show up in the temple in the Old Testament, just a cloud, <laughs> a thick fog of his presence. It's the sum of all that God is so we can have knowledge of who God is, how, by light that God shines, how specifically in the face of Jesus Christ. You can really come to know someone really well by looking them in in the face. God the Father is spirit. God is spirit. But God, who is spirit, who is our Father, knew that we needed to see God in the flesh and see a face. And that face is Jesus. I can look into your face. You can look into my eyes. And we can have a relationship. We can know each other. We can be known by one another face to face. Amen. It's important now more than ever before you know emails have increased so much as folks have been working from home during the covid stuff and so again more and more electronic digital texting all that stuff but i found that so many people are just craving being together seeing each other face to face so i shared this in the early service i'll share it again in this service but um at our first church that we served uh, together, First Baptist Opelika, full-time in ministry, there was somebody in that church that would say, Cade, I just love when your wife Jennifer sings on that platform there at First Baptist Church. I just love to look at you. I'm like, what? He says, I like to look at your face watching your wife sing because you just love her so much, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I do. You can see it in my face, Right. Because of the intimate relationship and the love that you see in the face. And so it's in the face of Jesus that we see God. We see our Creator in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, specifically... The apostle Paul talks about this mystery in the book of Colossians. He talks about this incredible truth that we're given by Jesus in John's gospel in John 14 and 15 and 16 about this presence of God that dwells within us. The Apostle Paul refers to this union or becoming one with Jesus. Paul says we are to be in Christ and Jesus Christ is to be in us. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit of God that he's sending to us as he's going into heaven leaving us. He is sending us the very presence of God. Paul says in Colossians 1, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we have treasure within us. The treasure within us is the very presence and person of God himself. God dwells in an earthen vessel, a jar of clay like Cade Ferris. It's a miracle of the grace and mercy of God. We're more than meets the eye, to use a transformers term, if you like transformers. We're more than what you see on the outside. David was the youngest of all those brothers. He did not look like the next king of Israel, as Ashley talked about. But God saw a heart in David that was for him. God looks at the inside. And the inside of us, it's beautiful. Because of who Jesus has made us, who he's making us to be in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We need this, church. We need to know this truth. It's encouraging to know that God dwells in imperfect people. Why? The next verses, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9, tell us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Which brings us to the second truth of the message. The power within us is greater than anything the world will do to us. So there's something far greater in us than what is seen on the outside. There's treasure in us. And there's power within us that is greater than anything the world could or might or will do to us. Paul says here that we are afflicted in every way. If you were to take every Christian who is alive, who has ever lived, and compare our lives to every other person who is alive or has ever lived, you will find that we have experienced as Christians every kind of affliction. We are not immune from affliction, from trials, from tribulation. Paul was being looked down upon by some leaders in Corinth because of all the hardships that he'd had. They were still hung up with that Old Testament mindset that, oh, the bad stuff happens to you it's because God's against you, God's judging you, Job's friends, that kind of mindset. But Paul says, no, we are afflicted in every way. But though we're afflicted, we're not crushed. How is it we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed? Because of the treasure, because of the presence, because of the power, because of the truth of the gospel that's in us, that holds us, that keeps us from being crushed. There's power, a treasure inside of us. We're also perplexed. We're confused. Have you ever been perplexed by the diagnosis that you were given by the doctor? Have you ever been perplexed when you walk in the office and you're told, we're having to downsize the company, we're moving on, thank you for your years of service to us. You're per- perplexed. Have you been perplexed when you give it your all on the ball field and yet your team doesn't win? There so many ways we're confused and perplexed. But What does Paul say? But we're not driven to despair. We're not given over to despair. With all of our questions, with all of the concerns and fears and worries, we're not despairing. Why? Because of the power at work within us. The Bible says that all who, live, who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. Not a matter of if, it's when. And persecution comes at different times of life to different Christians at different levels. So much of the persecution we receive depends on when we're living in history and what country we're living in. The Bible is a timeless word and it says if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Paul says we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're never alone in our persecution. As God says in the book of Hebrews, Jesus says, never will I leave you or forsake you. We're never forsaken. We're also struck down. Struck down. Struck down by illness, financial stress, by the slander of others, by rejection, by lies, by all kinds of trials, affliction, Persecution, we can be struck down. As Christians, we will not escape being struck down. But as the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians 4 and 9, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're not destroyed. As Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, said, this, The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, His kingdom is forever. Struck down, not destroyed. Even death cannot shake the treasure that we have. I shared this illustration from church history. I love church history. That became my favorite class in seminary. We learned so much from studying the lives of previous followers of Jesus. One of the heroes of church history was a man named Athanasius. Athanasius, they, he had a nickname. He was from North Africa, so he had dark skin. He was nicknamed, and he was also really short. His nickname was the Black Dwarf. And this guy, Athanasius, may have been small in stature, but he was mighty in power with his knowledge of the Word of God, and he was a fearless defender of true biblical theology. At that time, the early church was wrestling specifically with whether or not Jesus was the man, Jesus Christ, was created or not. And so if you want to know um, this modern heresy of the Jehovah's Witnesses, it's basically an old heresy called Arianism repackaged. This idea that Jesus Christ, that there's only one God, Jehovah, who made Jesus Christ. He was begotten. He was given birth to. He was the first created being under the authority of Jehovah God. And this idea was sweeping across the Roman Empire. And Christians were falling prey to it. But Athanasius said, no. Jesus was and is the eternal, pre-existent Son of God. For Him to be created means He's not our Savior. It means He is a lesser being than fully God. And Athanasius would not compromise on His Christology, on His view of who Jesus was. And it cost Him. It cost Him great persecution and exile. And one of those leaders, it really depended upon who was in charge. What kind of influence that leader had, that governor had, that emperor had. I'll tell you one example of what he experienced. Athanasius was being intimidated, threatened by a Roman leader. That leader said to him, If you don't stop preaching the truth you're preaching, I will confiscate all of your earthly goods, all the stuff that you have. I will take it away from you. Athanasius replied, All my treasures are laid up in heaven with Christ Jesus. That leader then said, I will banish you from the empire and make sure you spend the rest of your life totally alone and friendless. Athanasius said, Jesus has promised that he will never leave me or forsake me. Then that leader said, I will order you, if you don't stop preaching this truth about Jesus, I will order you to be taken right now and put to death. To which Athanasius replied, You will only take me out of this world full of sorrows into the glorious presence of my Lord in heaven. Every time the enemy came against him, what did he say? It is written, it's like Jesus did. When he's being tempted by Satan, it is written, it is written, treasures in heaven. God will never leave me or forsake me. Oh, you'll just promote me to heaven. Athanasius had his eyes on that which was unseen. Brings us to our third and final truth. To recap quickly, the power that we have within us is greater than anything the world will do to us. Number one, there's something in us far greater than what is seen on the outside. It's the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of Jesus in us, the Spirit of God. Number three, the afflictions we experience are not greater than our daily renewal and the glory to come. I'm going to say that again because somebody in the early service was taking notes and I went too fast. Imagine that. I went too fast, right? The afflictions we experience are not greater than than our daily renewal and the glory to come. Look at verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. That's my prayer for us, First Baptist Church. All those watching online, on television, here with me in person. Let's not lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension or comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. That means temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says, we're not going to lose heart. And Paul is really honest here. He says, our outward bodies, our outer self is wasting away. No matter how healthy the diet, no matter how great the exercise, those things can give a greater quality of life, make you healthier. I'm all for being healthy. No matter how many Botox... Injections. No matter how much the skin is stretched to hide the wrinkles, there is nothing we can do to stop the outer self from wasting away. At some point, we go from growing up and being healthy and getting stronger and growing, and then we stop growing, and then we start declining over the rest of our lives. Our hope is not in the outward. Our hope is not in what we see. Our hope has to be, in what is unseen, the inner self. Though I can't see your inner self, I can see evidence of what's happened inside of you by your face, by your actions, by your fruit. The afflictions that we experience are not greater than the daily renewal. What is Paul talking about there, being renewed? Well, I believe, again, Look at the context. What does chapter 3 say? In chapter 3, verse 18, he says we're all as Christians being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ with ever-increasing glory, and this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the Spirit of God, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being made new, by the Spirit of God, He is making us, shaping us, changing us, working despite all of our faults and failures and weaknesses, conforming us, preparing us for the day that we'll go to see Jesus Christ and finally see Him with our eyes. He'll be seen and not unseen. Now He's unseen. We see Him with eyes of faith, but one day we'll see Him as He is, praise the Lord, and we'll be Fully alive in the presence of Jesus forever. And that part of us is being renewed. And all it takes is every day just communing with God. Just open up his word and the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Again, I'm speaking, I'm speaking to Christians here. This should sound like gibberish in a foreign language to anyone listening who's not a Christian. Communion with God, the Spirit of God, these things. What are you talking about, pastor? If you're a Christian, you know Jesus Christ. He's washed you. He's cleansed you. This makes sense to you. You understand what I'm saying? You're communing with God in prayer. You're reading his word. And he's doing a great work in you even as your body is wasting away. Oh, what a promise. But there's a glory to come. Romans 8.18, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We're going to see the glory of God. We're going to see the fullness of God. All that God is. Every question answered. Every fear Removed for all eternity there with God in all of his glory forever and ever and ever. And going back to Corinthians, we know that this suffering right now, corona, the coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever else is going on in the world, or whatever else is going to happen in 2021, it's all light, we're told. That means compared to the weight of the glory of God, it's nothing. And it's all light. Brief. It's only momentary. A lifetime of pain and suffering is still momentary compared to the glory, the eternal glory that will be ours in Christ Jesus. That means you and I can persevere. You and I can stand. You and I can have hope. You and I can be encouraged today, no matter what happens at the election, no matter what happens to this nation, our kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. Our God is on the throne, no matter who's the president, or who's the judge, or who's Congress. Our king is Jesus. He wins the battle. He is the Lord. Let's put our hope in him. Let's be encouraged, not discouraged. He is our God. Pray with me. Lord, I pray now. Jesus' name, Lord, that we will understand that we have hope and that we might be struck down, we might be persecuted, we might be afflicted, our bodies might be wasting away, but inside of us we're being renewed day by day by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God, by Jesus Christ Himself. And God, I pray, will be encouraged as your people because you are greater than Jesus, your word is greater than. Your promises are greater than. Your spirit is greater than. The hope we have is greater than. God, encourage your body right now. Build up your broken and scattered church all over this world right now, God. Build up the body. Build it up by the spirit of God, Lord. Let people come back to in-person worship. Let people come back to the joy of their salvation, God. There is nothing the enemy can do harm us because we are fully assured there's treasure inside of us and it's you God let us walk in the power and the authority and the anointing of the Holy Spirit let us walk in the strength of the Word of God today with all the promises that nothing can take us out of God's hand and God we want to look at the unseen let us have eyes to see the unseen. Forgive us for looking at that which is seen. It brings us down. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus, I pray. In his name. Amen. Right, we're going to stand and we're going to sing one of my favorite worship songs that just boils it all down to Jesus. When all the music's gone, all the instruments, all the human worship leaders who we're wasting away too preachers are wasting away there's something eternal and it's Jesus and let's worship this Lord Jesus right now I talked about the gospel early in my message maybe you realize you've never repented you've never put your hope and trust in Jesus you've been playing games but today be the day of salvation for you come forward I'd love to pray with you and talk to you how you might come to know Jesus Christ today and settle it once and for all that he might be your Lord and Savior. This is where we take taking new church members. This altar has been prayed at the past few Sundays. It's always open. You come. We'll pray with you. We'll stand by you.